imagine what it would take for you to believe that your sibling was the incarnation of God? I think I would need to see some signs and wonders. I would need to really, really see them living it out. So in short, it would need to be true. Jesus had a brother named James, and I think being the brother of Jesus, he has a perspective we really need to pay attention to. So that's what we're doing in this series called The Book of James. We hope you enjoyed this message from Apex students, and we pray that you don't walk away without looking a little bit more like Jesus. Does anyone in the room have any siblings? Anybody? Most of you? Now, be careful about the face you make, because some of you, they're in the room. Um, (laughs) Some of them aren't in the room as well. Um, Can I tell you something that you might not want to hear? Kiefer, can I tell you something that you might not want to hear? I heard you say, unfortunately, and I get it. I, I know that, it, that having siblings may at times feel like a drag. I certainly, for me, I was indifferent at best for my brothers. But, but when I became a grown-up, they became some of my favorite people. And I think others in the room would attest to that. When I kind of grew up, um, my brothers really got close to me. I have two brothers. One of them's 19, the other one's 17. So um, the younger one is graduating high school this year. Um, and they're really great. Yeah, he's doing a great job. I'm assuming he's graduating. Great job. Yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. Um, so these people are, I, part of the reason that I can tolerate them now is that one of the reasons is that I don't live with them anymore. <laughs> I don't have to share like a bathroom or a fridge. I like they don't eat my things. I don't have to clean up after them anymore. Not that I did before, but <laughs> they don't, their messes aren't in my way anymore. Something changes when you grow up. So like when I go visit family, um, like for holidays or whatever, like the conversations I have with my brothers are some of my favorite. And they're like the people that I most want to see when I go visit family. Um, I. I try to see my friends, but I have to see my brothers. Um, And I don't know what exactly it is that we just like get each other so well, right? So like we grew up in the same similar ways, you know, we face similar obstacles. We, I don't know if our, our senses of humor were like crafted very specifically the same way, um, but we get each other and we make each other, when we get together, we laugh a whole lot. <laughs> we enjoy each other, uh, our company a lot. So can I just tell you, when I, I go out for out west for Thanksgiving, um, by, by west I mean the Pittsburgh area, that is what we've come to know, um, our, our homerland, home, our homeland. Um, we go out for Thanksgiving and we de- decorate my mom's apartment for Christmas, me and my brothers and Sam. And it's really, it's a good time. Um, so I sit there and my brothers and Sam decorate my mom's apartment for, um, for Christmas. So they put up the Christmas tree. Um, and there's a couple of things that are like really important at decorating my mom's apartment. One of them is a tree topper. Um, it's this really dumb like foam Christmas hat that sits like on top of the tree. And it's like, it's like a Santa hat. It's horrible. She hates it. Uh, she hides it every year, and we always find it. I, I think she like wants us to find it because she could just throw it away if she was really trying. But every year we find it. Every year we take like two dozen of these pink sparkly birds, and uh, we put them all over her house. <laughs> um, like on the curtains, we put them on the tree. We put them, I stole one so that I could have one for my home as well. Um, but we put these things everywhere. Um, it's just like, Decorating my mom's apartment is just meme after meme after meme with me and my brothers. And it all culminates at the very end. Um, we put the lights on the tree, all these decorations on her Christmas tree. It's like a little tree. Like I'm like describing it like this, this extravagant thing, but it's like about this high. <laughs> and uh, we put way more ornaments on it than it needs. And before we plug in the lights, we sing America the Beautiful. Um, 
And if you know the song, it ends on from sea to shining sea and on from sea to shining sea, we plug the lights in <laughs> and it's this really magical moment. And, and I tell people that story and it's odd, it just never gets a laugh. And that's because my brothers and I, we get each other so well and this is just so dumb, but it's also so fun, it's so weird. We get each other. And many of you in this room, you, you understand that because there are people in your life that you're really, really close to. Many of you, it's your siblings, that, are, that you are just so in tune with and you, and you laugh at things that aren't funny to other people and you just see each other so, so, um, so deeply. When you get that close to other people, you also begin to see things you don't want to see about them, <laughs> right? You begin to see like the dark side of people. You get to see their bad side. Um, you get to know their deepest, darkest secrets, their insecurities and vulnerabilities. And uh, we, we like, we use those things sometimes. Like, I know if you tick me off, I know how to really, really hurt you, right? And uh, <laughs> I see some heads shaking. And we would never, ever do that. Um, I know that you would never do that. But when we get close to these people, we see their good side and we've seen their bad side. And I've talked about this before, but imagine one of your siblings you're having dinner maybe around the table and, and one of your siblings says, okay, family, I have an announcement to make. Um, I'd like you to know that I am God incarnate. I am the Messiah, the savior of the universe and uh, I am here to reunite God and man. I don't know what your reaction would be. <laughs> to, <laughs> maybe it's like, this is your latest scheme to get my parents' attention. That's what it is. <laughs> or like, I knew you had an ego, but this is kind of next level. Um, or you just laugh at them because that is really absurd. I think it's important to remember that Jesus, who is the Messiah, Savior of the universe, God incarnate, came to reunite God and man, had a brother. <laughs> like he had a family and uh, his brother, Jesus, his brother's name was James. And James heard Jesus say these things and he believed it. He believed that his brother was the Messiah. So imagine for you, what would it take for you to believe that your sibling was the incarnation of God? What would it take? Here's some things. It would take a bunch of miracles. It would take them really, really living the way that they say they were going to live. In short, it would take it being true. For me to believe my brother was the Messiah, it would, it would need to be true. And so that's what we say about James. James was so convinced that his brother was the Messiah that he believed it. Even growing up with this child, <laughs> having the same parents sharing a house, he believed that Jesus was the Messiah. And because of that, I think it's important we pay close attention. That we look at what James said and we look closely at what James said because, uh, because, what, um, because it would take so much to believe that your brother was the savior of the universe. We have to look at his unique perspective. So we're starting a four-week series um, on the book of James, which is a book we have in our Bible, and it's actually a letter, a letter in the New Testament. It's a letter written, uh, most scholars believe, by the, the name James, Jesus' brother, James. Uh, and it's, that means it has this really cool perspective because James really, really, really knew Jesus. And many people call, this is interesting, I didn't realize this until I started researching, was that many people call the book of James the Proverbs of the New Testament. Um, because Proverbs is a book in the Old Testament that was full of wisdom, uh, lots of wise sayings, written by the, the wisest man that ever lived besides Jesus, um, by Solomon. Some of those sayings you may have heard before. So things like, um, you are the company you keep. 
That comes from Proverbs. Pride comes before the fall. You may have heard that. Um, and not just in church. Like these are sayings that I've heard outside of church, in, just in the world. Um, one of them, it may be a little churchier language, but the principle is very universal. A soft answer turns away wrath. So like when a child's having a temper tantrum and you speak to them very softly, <laughs> and that's because a soft answer turns away wrath. And that's from Proverbs. So the book of James is so full of wisdom, so full of these like wise sayings packed into this little tiny book, only just like five chapters, I believe. Um, and that's what reminds people of Proverbs, and that's why we call James Proverbs of the, of the New Testament. So when we look at a book of the Bible like this, um, it's important to ask some questions. For instance, who wrote it? So like we said, James, the brother of Jesus, wrote this book. Another important question is, who was he writing to? So like when we see a letter in the New Testament, uh, someone was writing to a particular audience. And if we look um, right at the beginning of this book, James 1.1, we see an answer to that question. We see um, this verse. It says, uh, James. So he's like, this is like where he would say, this is my name. He's introducing himself. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. <laughs> Just like a weird way to talk, but I guess that's okay. The, like King James version says greeting, which I think is even weirder. <laughs> I don't know why greetings makes a little more sense to me. But um, so this is James, the brother of Jesus, and he's writing to the 12 tribes that are scattered in the nation, in the dispersion. Um, and that sort of gives us more questions than answers. So allow me to explain that a little bit. So some scholars think that James was actually the first book in the New, in the New Testament written after Jesus was crucified. So we believe Jesus lived about 30 years. He, he spoke this radical message about three years. He's healing people. He's, he's saying, I am God. I've come to reunite God and man. And so they kill him for it. It was too radical. It was too crazy. Um, not that they didn't believe it, but it was just causing too much trouble. So they had him killed. He was crucified. He came back to life. He ascended into heaven. And, the, and then we get the New Testament. We get all these scriptures written, uh, records of what Jesus did, how the church survived after Jesus left. And the first one they believe written after Jesus' crucifixion was James. And so it was written in a time when Jesus' followers were being persecuted because Jesus was killed for his message, for, his, for starting this movement. Um, and so the problem was he claimed to be the Messiah, which ticked off the Jewish leaders. And the Jewish leaders were causing a ruckus, which ticked off the Roman leaders. So we've got government and we've got church, which was at the time basically its own government. We've got these giant forces that are like, this needs to stop. So they put an end to the movement that Jesus had started. So it makes sense that the people involved in that movement, they were at risk. They were worried. Am I, go, am I next? Am I the next one in line to be killed for my beliefs, for believing that Jesus is the Messiah? So these Christians were in hiding. They were spread out around the area the 12 tribes is a reference to the Jewish people. They have these 12 tribes that kind of made up the origin of the Jewish people. And many of those Jews had turned into Christians because of Jesus' teaching. So that's James' audience. And I think that's a powerful thing to think about. Imagine writing to that crowd, to these people that are hiding. We talked just a couple weeks ago about what happened when the Holy Spirit came. It changed everything. They were hiding and then they were proclaiming boldly, but we're not there yet. Imagine writing to these people that are hiding because they're afraid they're going to be killed for their beliefs. What would you say to these people? <laughs> what would you say in a situation like that when you're addressing this particular group? At the end of chapter one, James gives us this really cool insight into what he says that God views as true religion. True religion. Now, religion can be kind of a 
a word that makes people go to a place. Um, like people say, there's, you have religion and you have a relationship with Jesus. Well, James didn't quite see the difference. He, when he says religion, that's what he means. He means faith. He means belief in Jesus. So what did James describe as true religion? So he's describing what um, the act of religion and worship, how you express your faith, the things we do because of what Jesus has done for us. And we'll see it play out over the next few weeks, but James talked a good deal about what we do in response to what God has done for us, how we express our faith. So think about this question. What should true religion, true faith look like? What does that look like? What does faith that pleases God look like in real life? Or let me put it this way. What are the clues you pick up from other people that indicate they are truly followers of Jesus? Now, we don't get to judge people. God does that. But we do it anyway. Even though it's wrong at times, we, we, we make these judgments about people. But you know what I mean. When you, here's, here's, I'll put it this way. When someone comes off to you as a Jesus follower, how do they act? What do they do? How do they treat people? When someone comes off to you as a Jesus follower, what are they like? Because that is true religion lived out in your eyes. What do those people do? So this is how James defines true religion in the end of chapter one. So this is James 1, 27. He says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. This is how James measures religion that is pure, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. This is how I'm putting it for our conversation tonight. True religion is reaching out to the rejected. True religion is reaching out to the rejected. True faith, the expression of your love, what you do in response to what Jesus has done is reaching out to the rejected. So let's take a closer look at what that means. Um, he considers it pure, undefiled religion, pure, undefiled faith. When we look after orphans and widows, and I think that's a little surprising. That comes off to me as a little surprising. What I know about the scripture as a whole, what I know about Jesus, what he stood for, there, it adds up, but there are other things I wish were on this list, right? There are other things that maybe come more naturally to me that I would like to be the mark of pure, undefiled religion. I would like it to be to be on the worship team or to be a student leader. That is true, undefiled religion. When, I've, when I'm on a student leadership team, I have made it. That's not quite what he says. When I lift my hands and cry in worship, that's what I, that's true that's not quite it. That's not what James is saying here. If to know all the Bible stories, to be on track with my read the Bible in a year plan, help me Jesus, it's a month in. That's what true religion is? Not so much. That's not what James sees it as anyway, because there are elements of that that is absolutely true. Those are great things. But James says, true religion, a true example of faith in God is to reach out to the rejected looking after the orphan and the widow. Isn't that strange? It's counterintuitive to me. But imagine this. Imagine that experience. Imagine having no family. Imagine having no support system. Whether it's your biological family or people that have called you their family, the people in this room have some kind of support system. Um, another important question to ask when you look at a book like this is, when was it written? Um, so in this time that Jesus was writing, not that different from today. The people that are most vulnerable and alone are the people that don't have a family. 
that don't have a support system. I've gone to a couple seminars now that talk about poverty and say like, why is it that people get trapped into being poor and homeless and what is happening in those situations? And, and one of the researchers defines poverty as the lack of relationship. They just have no support system. They have, whether it's family or a church family, they just have no one to support them. People like that are the most vulnerable and the most alone in our communities. These are the people that have no one to care for them. So imagine you in this room just disappeared from the planet. If that happened to anyone in this room, I am so sure that there are many people that would notice. There are many people that would care. I, and if you're sitting in your chair thinking, I'm not so sure, I am sure. Yeah. I'm on that list. <laughs> your small group leader is on that list. The person sitting next to you is quite possibly on that list. If you disappear from the planet, people would notice. Your phone would blow up um, or your parents' phone would blow up saying, where are they? Now put yourself in the shoes of the orphan or the widow, especially in this time. They didn't have... A, uh, county youth services to take care of them. They didn't have a nursing home that they could show up at. The orphans and the widows were the most alone. They're without a family, without a support system, no one to notice if they weren't there, no one to help them, encourage them, be there for them. They were truly and utterly completely alone. Being an orphan or a widow meant you were most likely to be forgotten. You were very likely to be poor. You were probably completely alone, rejected by society. And in that time, that means you were in danger easily harmed, easily exploited, taken by someone else. You're without a support system. So what James is trying to say here is, you look most like Jesus when you care for those who are vulnerable. You look most like Jesus when you care for people who are vulnerable, when you remember people that are forgotten, when you are with people that are alone, when you support people who have no one to support them. When, uh, when you are with people that are traditionally alone, when you, uh, true religion is reaching out to the rejected. That is the religion God wants from us. That is our faith in action, our worship expressed, reaching out to the rejected. So ask yourself this question. If I, if I were to have followed you around for the past month, I said, if, I'm not doing that. That's weird. How did you do? If I had followed you around for the past month, how did you do? Because according to Jesus, the mark of truly living what you believe, living faith, true religion, James says it's measured by how you care for people that need someone. Take a moment right now, ask yourself, who are the widows and orphans around me? Because I don't believe this is just women who had lost their husband or kids who had lost their parents. I don't think that that was the point James was trying to make. Who are the people in my community, in my school, at my work, at my art lesson, at my dance studio, who are the people that have no one fighting for them? Who are the people in my world who are fragile, desperate, and have no one sticking up for them? Who around me is rejected? And then ask yourself, how can I help those people? How can I be, look after the widow and the orphan? How can I support those people, fill a need for those people, and be there for those that don't have many to be there for them? Ask God these questions. Make it your prayer that God would reveal these people to you and would give you opportunities and direction and boldness to meet the needs of the people around you, to care for people. 
Ask him how you can reach out to the rejected. In your small groups tonight, I want you to work on how to do that in your own life. I've given you no examples because I want you to do that in your small groups tonight. You'll have an opportunity to answer those questions. Who in my world would qualify as the group of people that James is describing? And how can I live out true religion by meeting their needs, by caring for them, by looking out for them, by reaching out to the rejected? So you have an opportunity to apply those truths in your own life. So be thinking about that. Be thinking about how you might answer that question because it's going to be a big part of your discussion tonight. I'd also like to let you know how we at Apex are going to be living that out, how we are going to live that out. Every week in this room, we take an offering for Speed the Light. And Speed the Light is a missionary organization, supports missionaries all over the world as they do the work of Jesus, as they take the message of Jesus to people who have never heard it. This year, our offerings at Apex are going to a specific Speed the Light project, something we're super excited about. Um, Speed the Light has partnered with... Uh, World Serve International, which is an organization that does primarily um, drilling, drilling wells for clean water for people who don't have it. So for our special project, um, we're sponsoring um, World Serve International as they work in Kenya, which is a, a country in the east part of Africa, like right on the equator, um, on the eastern coast of Africa, right on the equator. So if you look at a map, you see the equator, you see Africa's coast right there, right dead center. That is the coast of Kenya. Um, I'm going I'm to direct your attention to this video here um, because this video is about WorldServe and what they're doing. So if you could turn your attention to the screen there to learn about WorldServe International. The world water crisis is currently affecting nearly 1 billion people. Some of the most water-stressed countries in the entire world are located in sub-Saharan Africa. These places are experiencing severe lack from no access to clean water. Issues like dehydration, disease, and even death cycle from generation to generation. The thing is, this crisis is solvable. WorldServe's unique approach to the water crisis is both large scale and sustainable. It's large scale because we're deploying our own fleet of clean water rigs that drill boreholes deep enough to provide clean water for years to come. It's sustainable because we're using solar powered distribution systems that are easily accessible for entire villages in the deepest parts of East Africa. Since 2001, we've reached over 3 million people with the life-changing power of clean water. Where there's clean water, education, health, economic, and spiritual growth are soon to follow. Water changes everything. These people are people who, many of them have a support system. They have family around them. Um, so they may not be rejected as individuals. But on a worldwide scale, they have a serious need. The people in Kenya have a serious need. And if people in Kenya don't have clean water to drink, um, this might be what their water looks like that they take home. And if people in Kenya don't have clean water to drink, and we have something called a super soaker, and we have, we have an irrigation system to water our lawns, they have a problem that we can help fix. That is something we can make an impact in. 
So Speed the Light is partnering with WorldServe, and we are partnering with Speed the Light as they partner with WorldServe International. So all of our Speed the Light contributions this year for the year of 2020 are going toward um, the Pendel District's goal um, of $50,000 to meet these needs in Kenya. So there'll be drilling water wells in Kenya. So that means all of our offerings that we take every week, all of our profits at the store on snacks, um, drinks and nachos and whatever you can find up there, all of our merch profits, everything is going toward this project to, to drill water wells for fresh, clean water in Kenya. And um, don't forget, we're working on a new merch project. So save up your money because you're going to want more than one of this. <laughs> we're going to be talking more about World Serve and about giving. Uh, it's going to link into convention. We're going to talk more about that in a few weeks. But um, these two water jugs are going to be around for a while. I I'm going to keep these on the stage. So you these are going to serve as a to keep our minds on the project and to remind us that we can actually make a difference here. This is not just something that we have to wait for someone else to do. We can make a difference in the lives of people in Kenya through our giving. We can turn the water sources that they have into clean, fresh water that keeps them safe and meets their needs. So that's what Apex is doing. And um, it, it's important that you partner with us as we do that, but it's also so important that you look at your life and see how you can impact the people around you with this message, how you can apply God's truth from his word in James to impact your personal life. Who are the people around you that need supported? And how can you step in and show them Jesus? Because true religion is reaching out to the rejected. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this group of people and for this call you've placed on our lives, for this uh, mission that you have given us in James, this description that true religion, true faith and expression of our worship to you is reaching out to people who have no one to reach out to them and caring for people who have no one to care for them and being with people who are otherwise alone. God, give us wisdom as we look for those people in our lives and as we look for ways to help them. God, guide our conversations in our small group tonight and help us to get closer to you through living your word. And I pray that not a single person in this room walks out without looking a little bit more like Jesus tonight. We love you, and you are the reason we are here to become more like you. In your name we pray. Everybody said, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this Apex Students podcast. You can listen to more Apex teachings by subscribing on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. We hope this message has mattered in your life and that you don't walk away without looking a little bit more like Jesus. Jesus.